Hi, my name is Jose Font and I'm listening to Le Bourgeois. Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there, Balotelli on the turn, quality. Kalufa Cavano, oh what a strike, an absolute beauty from Florian Tovar. Oh the pass is brilliant for Pepe. Tovar. The Saint-Etienne surely won it in the 89th minute. My head, oh what a goal. And Kylian Mbappe wraps it up. Bonjour et bienvenue. Hello and welcome along to the first episode of Le Bourge, the official Ligue 1 podcast. Coming up on this week's pod, we ask who can stop PSG and Kylian Mbappe? Is Mario Balotelli the saviour of Marseille or just a showman who's big on Instagram? Might Nicola Pepe and Lille be stalling at the key moment? And will inform Lyon take advantage? It's an action-packed show We'll be speaking to the Lille defender, Jose Font, a little bit later. He's been superb for Lille this season. Now, joining me for this historic uh, inaugural Le Beaujeu podcast, I have uh, Robbie Thompson, my uh, Australian colleague and uh, friend who is, um, he's been in France for, for quite some time. He's a bit of a Paris Saint-Germain specialist. Hello and welcome, Robbie. Hello, Matt. Yes, 19 years now in France, if everyone can believe that. And uh, all good. You haven't aged at all. The uh, the French food and, and wine is is doing a good job on you. I think, David, I'm not sure I can say the same, although you've, Thanks, been, <laughs> you've been in France for a long time. David Crossan is opposite me. He's one of our uh, our main commentators for the, uh, for the Ligue 1 international coverage. David has also been in France for a long time. He's uh, a Newcastle fan from Essex, but we don't hold that against him. Hello, Dave. Yeah, lots of Newcastle rejects in action over this weekend. Look forward to talking about them later. I think we all arrived in France at about the same time, didn't we, Dave? 99? Yeah, 19 years, yeah. 99 for Dave, 2000 for me, 2001 and, uh, for you. 2002 for me, and, and I'm, uh, and I'm Matt producer, Spiro, by the way. Ian Holyman would be 2002 as well, or three. We have known each other for a long time. We've known the years in France where Paris Saint-Germain were, were battling for, for mid-table uh, uh, positions jostling, battling against relegation with Fabrice Pancrat and Pires, uh, Amara Diani. These days, we have more talent. I think it's fair to say we have some sensational players at Paris Saint Germain. David, we saw PSG romping uh, to victory. Well, they didn't romp to victory this time. They came from behind. They beat Caen, but uh, another win that took them twenty points clear. They're they're only seventeen clear now because Lille. Uh, one as well on Sunday. But Dave, it was it was all about Kylian Mbappe again, wasn't it? Still no Cavani, still no Neymar, but Mbappe uh, to the rescue. Two more goals, 24 for him this season in, in 21 games. He's just proving too good at the moment for the rest of Liga. Yeah, I was lucky enough to commentate that game on Saturday, Matt. And uh, on the excellent Ligue website, one of the things that's good when you uh, are commentating a match is you can see how many times the players have touched the ball. And 40 minutes into that game, I thought Mbappe has been absolutely anonymous. He hasn't touched it at all. Looked on Ligue he touched it four times. After that, he had a couple of chances in the last five minutes of the first half. And then he won the game for Paris Saint-Germain. Took on the responsibility from the penalty spot. His first penalty in Ligue 1 football, whether at Monaco or at Paris Saint-Germain, uh, in the absence of Neymar and Cavani. And then a tap-in after Meunier's shot had been blocked on the line. 24 goals. It's outstanding. He is better as a centre-forward than he is when he plays wide. 
a, a, a fantastic performance again from from Killian. But you say never touch the ball, but that's what costs 160 million euros or, or 220 million for Neymar. It's players that can win the match, even when they're having an off day. You may not see them. They get forgotten by the opposition. They think, oh, we've got Kylian Mbappe under control, and then just steps up. That's the that's the difference. That's what that's what wins you football matches. But Robbie, what what's interesting? Dave mentioned Mbappe now playing through the middle, and uh, his his goal scoring in the last few weeks has been sensational. I mean, he's been pretty consistent all season. But since Cavani and Neymar have been out, he has really stepped up to the plate, and that that is begging the question: Is that not his best position? And should PSG be be building this team around Mbappe rather than Neymar, perhaps. Well, I think the team is built around around Kylian Mbappe with Neymar. He started out as a centre forward with Monaco, didn't he? Playing alongside Radamel Falcao. I think that is part of Thomas Tuchel's plan. Even when Cavani was available, we saw Cavani and Kylian playing up front together uh, quite a lot. They're similarish players, but K- Kylian Mbappe's pace. The whole thing for Thomas Tuchel is to find the best place for each player, where they can be the most effective. And I think he's decided quite early on that his plan is to have Killian playing in that number nine role, whether Edinson Cavani moves on this summer, whether they play together, where whether Cavani ends up playing more on the bench and that uh, you need to play with three. But Thomas Tuchel changes his formation every match nearly to suit the opposition and to get his best out of the players. So whether you play one up front, two up front, a line of three attackers, always looking for the best place for everyone and how the team can operate at its best. And for Killian, playing through the middle, that's what the coach likes. I think that is the major evolution, Rob, under Thomas Tuchel compared to Unai Emery, is that Tuchel is more adaptable as a mm. coach than Emery was. And he's not afraid to play the odd long ball. As long as it's towards Killian Mbappe, you've got to try and use that pace. You've got to try and get him running in behind. He's not at his best getting the ball static out wide, which was happening too much for me last season under Unai Emery. And when Neymar, Cavani and Mbappe are on the pitch, as Rob says, he's used a lot of formations. But I quite like the one where Neymar's in the 10 role and Cavani and Mbappe are intelligent enough to play up front together and make all the runs. Can you do that in the Champions League? That is the big question. Would they be better in the Champions League just with Neymar and Mbappe? It's possible. Guys, there's there's been a bit of Unai Emery bashing in France, I would say, in the, in, in the last few weeks, which... I think it's a bit harsh. I'm going to defend Unai a bit because we come in and we say, look at Paris Saint-Germain, they're, they're winning all their games. Thomas Tuchel is this personable guy and uh, at the moment, things are going really well. We saw him at the beginning of the season uh, when they won the uh, Champions Trophy. Yeah, he got showered in champagne and he sung his song uh, in, in, in front of the players. And You know, he's, he's, he's charmed everybody, something that Unai Emery never did. But let's not forget either. Okay, Unai Emery last season was the... Coach of the year in Ligue 1. Paris Saint-Germain got 93 points. They, uh, they won every domestic trophy possible. Um, Robbie is making uh, all sorts of signs at me like he, like, like he doesn't agree. Thomas Tuchel's doing well so far. But listen, if they go and get turned over in the, in the quarterfinals or, heaven forbid, for Paris Saint-Germain, they go out to, to Manchester United on, on, on Wednesday, it's all going to change. Unai Emery tried to come in with his ideas when he first started at Paris Saint-Germain two years ago, and it didn't work. There were losses to Toulouse, losses away to Monaco, and basically the players felt that they weren't being given any respect, I think, when, when Unai Emery arrived. He tried to change the system. He said, look, it doesn't matter who plays. Four hours before a Champions League match, he pulled out Thiago Silva and put Presnel Kimpembe in place. Well, it was a 4-0 victory over Barcelona. It worked very well at the time. But in terms of just treating all the players the same as just numbers... And, and chess pieces, 
that takes away it it takes away the personality of the player and it also above all the players don't appreciate it the players like to think look i you paid 64 million for me you paid 120 million for me i know how to play football you play me you show me the respect i need to know that i'm a starting player right from the start irrespective of whether you want to bring in a a, a young 19 year old off the bench do you see what i mean it's a yeah. it's a mentality I thing say, about respecting their, Bobby, d- despite their his despite his australian twang he is a a real parisian you see him <laughs> on street corners with his beret and his and his cigarette and his and his glass of uh, of red wine or i do quite quite often he's also our, our psg insider he's the producer of the excellent weekly program this is paris that you can watch on uh, on being sports or on paris angerman's website but so you know while i would say let's let's respect robbie's view on on, on paris Saint-Germain, i just feel <laughs> everything's coming. going well at the moment and you know everybody's jumping on the thomas tuchel bandwagon but I mean, Dave, do you well, see? Do you do you see any? I know Robbie wants to come in again. Do you see any cracks in the armor? I was going to say. Just very quickly to finish. Then Unai Emery was then overturned by the players after that loss to Monaco, and the players said, "Look, go back. We play four-three-three. It's what we do." Thiago Motta holding Verratti, Adrian Rabiot, then the three up front, Cavani through the middle. We've got players wide on either side. That's how we play. Thomas Tuchel has come in and basically just won the players over by saying, look, Di Maria, you're back in the side. I need you to play with Cavani, da 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 Okay, but under Thomas Tuchel, Robbie, Neymar goes back to Brazil early, goes on his Christmas holidays early because he says, well, I'm still got, I've still got a bit of a niggle. He's now got an injury. Where is he? Where is, he's, he's in Brazil. And I'm not saying that Thomas Tuchel is, is being overruled or that player power is, is still present at, at Paris Saint-Germain. But, you know, I, I just think it's easy to say Emery cowed to the, to, to the players and Thomas Tuchel is standing up to them. I'm, I'm not no, sure that the, much the has idea changed. is getting the best out of them. And if they are happy, then you get the best out of them. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the results. So like will, a Villefranche or after, two days after Neymar's birthday party when it went to extra time, much like the party, if you listen to the rumours. Well, that's, that's a, rumors, a, a Dave, victory at the end. Villefranche, uh, uh, a French Cup game. PSG still still going strong in, uh, in the French Cup. We want to just ask David about this upcoming Champions League game? Because some people as well, going back to Mbappe, they, they, they say, well, hang on, Mbappe, 24 goals in Ligue 1, that's easy enough. But, you know, to, to, to reduce it to, to, to Mbappe being a flat track bully is just nonsense because we've seen him in the World Cup against Argentina. We've seen him at Old Trafford against Manchester United. They're not going to, to let this slip, are they, Dave? I don't think they will this time, no, Matt. Um, you say, are there any cracks in the Paris Saint-Germain armour? It's an open secret that they haven't sorted out their midfield and that's something that's going to have to be addressed in the summer that the balance isn't quite there that Dani Alves has played so much in central midfield since the turn of the year if you're trying to tell me that playing a 35 year old Dani Alves in central midfield is a Champions League winning uh, move then I don't agree with you Um, but I do think that they will manage to hold on to their advantage against Manchester United even build on it because as United have to come out and attack that will leave even more space for the likes of Di Maria and Mbappe to exploit. And it is very much about the Champions League, really, for Paris Saint-Germain, because uh, even the most optimistic Lille supporter would uh, would accept they're not going to close a 17-point uh, gap between now and the end of the season. But the battle for Europe is, is very interesting because Lille are, are currently in second place. They've been very much the, uh, the surprise package. And just to... Uh, outline the, the importance of coming second uh, you get automatic Champions League group stage qualification if you finish third you have to go through two qualifiers and uh, and, it, and it's very difficult Leon are currently occupying 
third position. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about them in a moment. But I just want to talk about PSG's big rival. We've got a, a classique coming up in, uh, in a couple of weeks between PSG and, and Marseille. And Marseille have, uh, have got their form back. They had a disastrous run, a, a run that lasted a, a couple of months. Uh, Rudy Garcia, the coach, was uh, being hounded by the supporters, but it's now 13 points from a possible 15. They uh, were victorious in, in pretty comprehensive fashion last night against uh, Saint-Étienne. Got two early goals and uh, saw the game out 2-0. Marseille move above Saint-Étienne to, uh, to fourth position. And what everybody is talking about is, of course, the arrival of Mario Balotelli. He, uh, he scored again yesterday. It's four goals in, in six games now for Mario Balotelli at Marseille. And he celebrated it in interesting fashion. He, uh, he hooked home. It was a, a scissor kick volley from Florian Tovan's corner. And then he obviously seemed to know that he was going to score because he ran over, took his, uh, his phone from a, a Marseille journalist and, he, uh, and he, got, he got filming and he got it up on Instagram by half time, which was, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, I've seen players tweet while I've been watching them train, but that's the first time I've ever seen that. So I think the the most worried people in France today will be the club media departments at the other clubs as they're asked, why haven't we come up with a stunt like this that will go around the world? And you always expect pyrotechnics with Balotelli. And uh, he provided them again, as he has done um, ever since he'd gone to the velodrome, three goals in three appearances at the velodrome. The first player to do that since Ibrahima Bakayoko. Uh, I think uh, Marseille fans... Might remember Balotelli a bit more fondly than they do back yeah, in And if he carries on yeah. like that, well, let's hope that he's still an OM player next season because, yeah, he's playing with a smile on his face. Um, having a genuine goal scorer has totally changed Marseille's approach. But it's not the only thing that uh, Garcia's made a lot of major choices, leaving established, experienced names on the bench. And he's got a great understanding with Florian Thauvin and with Valo Germain, who is still the ultimate team man and ideally suited for a 4-4-2 when he's not at all suited to being a lone centre-forward who's got the goal-scoring burden. Bal- Balotelli is an incredible man. How on earth did he get enough network coverage to post <laughs> a video inside a full stadium? For journalists who go around to stadiums, you know, it's almost impossible to connect to the Wi-Fi in a football stadium. So you can do all the tests and, yes, Wi-Fi is working perfectly, then in come 40,000 people <laughs> who all connect. There's no more network. He's he very trusting as well, How Rob. I know a lot of footballers wouldn't hand over their personal mobile phone to a club employee. There might be some stuff on other footballers' phones which you really don't want going out. You probably just bought the mobile phone Robbie, for that stunt. I'm going to be a bit of a, a killjoy here. Listen, I, I like the celebration. I, I love Mario Balotelli. And, you know, this guy is great for Liga. OK, Patrick Vieira and Nice fans may have been a bit fed up with him this season because he was pretty hopeless for them. But he's, uh, he's got his mojo back. But I'm going to... I'm going to be critical and I'm going to say, listen, 50,000 people paid to turn up to, to that game and to support Marseille and Mario Balotelli. First goal of the game, Balotelli scores in front of his new adoring public. And, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's a bit of a kind of reflection of, of society today where you see people going along to football matches, concerts, and they've got their phone out recording. Live for the moment and celebrate your goal with the 50,000 people who are there rather than the X million that, that you have following you on, on Instagram. Is that fair to say that it's a slight lack of respect, I would say, to the, to the supporters? I agree with you 100% generally, except <laughs> that this is just a, it's a stunt, isn't it? It's a thing just to, to create a bit of buzz, as we say. And, uh, and I think it works. I thought it was hilarious that he did it. I, but I agree in terms of these people with their mobile phones. The one thing that gets me is when you see the team bus arrive. And in the old days... You'd have the streets outside the stadium, 
with everyone, all the scarves out, people cheering, the flags waving and cheering, applauding their team bus and abusing the away team bus as it comes up to the stadium. Now everybody just has their mobile phones. There's no, no hardly any noise, a couple of cheers as the team bus arrives and everyone just filming. So yes, look, I think, but is there not a, a bit of lack of respect going the other way from all these fans filming, like you say, at concerts and filming matches? As the lights go down towards the end of a match, you can just see all mobile phones filming and streaming matches entirely from yeah. people sitting in the stands. Well, I just think we need to think of our target demographic for the podcast. So I think it was a great <laughs> thing that Mario Balotelli did. And he did involve the fans, actually. He was changing the camera angle so that he could capture the fans' reaction as well. More importantly, is that he scored. Exactly. Go back That's a not, while and yeah, um, exactly. the Marseille fans weren't even seeing a centre-forward score. He has he has changed things. But it's, it's interesting, Dave. It's not just Balotelli's arrival. There's been a whole change in... Uh, in policy, really, from Rudy Garcia, a lot of the fringe players um, in the first half of the season were fed up because there were senior players like Adil Rami, Luis Gustavo, Kevin Strotman, uh, Dimitri Payet, who just weren't pulling their weight and were were underperforming. And what's fascinating is they've they've struck on this winning formula, a four four two that's coincided with Balotelli arriving. He's played Balotelli and Germain up top, but it's not just those two, is it? He's got Cheletasar, the the Croat, who was all over the place early uh, this season, who suddenly now got this centre-back pairing with uh, Bubaka Camara, a superb teenage defender. We've got Sanson Lopez in the midfield. You weren't expecting these guys to start. Rudy Garcia is now saying, listen, they're winning. And, you know, last night we had we had Gustavo Payet. Um, we had Adil Rami on the bench, Kevin Strotman on the bench. This this has been a, a good move from, uh, from Rudy Garcia. Yeah, they're much more mobile now. There was a, a problem with uh, mobility, with too many old players there, Strootman and Luis Gustavo. I don't really understand why they signed Kevin Strootman. I've got to be honest. Luis Gustavo is so good last season. They didn't need another left-footed player who's neat but not that fast in that position. Um, the defence, I actually thought the defence was going to be sorted out when Rolando came back. I thought Rami and Rolando would just be commanding. Instead, they've looked their age this season. Shalei uh, Tassar, he arrived almost as overweight as Mario Balotelli was at the start of the season at Nice, but he wow, now looks fit. So. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that is heavy. <laughs> well, they said he was 100 kilos when he came back late for pre-season training, not Chalet Tassar, Balotelli. Mm. And he's already looking a lot fitter, Balotelli, now than when he first turned up in Marseille. The shirt's not looking quite so tight. Um, but they, yeah, they definitely needed this extra mobility. And the player that I really like at Marseille, even though he's completely different to what he was sold as when he moved to Monaco initially as a teenager, is Lucas Acampos. He's so hardworking. Last night, he led the pressing. Balotelli did a lot of pressing, which you haven't always seen in his career. And then came back to help Sakai all the time at left back um, in order to try and nullify Wabi Kazri. Campos just runs and runs and runs. He's is got he, is, Lanyac, is he, is, as they like is to he say. One, is he one you're looking to send to Newcastle? Dave, Dave's very funny because <laughs> as soon as there are a couple of stories in the, in the local press, you see Dave on Twitter informing his uh, Newcastle supporter following saying... This guy's hopeless. Newcastle shouldn't buy him. And more often than not, Dave is right. Newcastle don't listen to him. And, I got uh, Tovan wrong, though. I th I'm sure you can dig out a tweet where I said that Tovan was going to do brilliantly in the Premier League. And I think he proved me right. Ultimately, I think he was misused when he was at Newcastle. Um, yeah, Cabela was useless for Saint-Etienne last night. Another former Newcastle player, Debussy, gave away a penalty. He was actually pretty good at Newcastle. Gabriel Oberton. They've had, they've had probably had more misses than hits at Newcastle. Still playing, Gabriel Oberton. Yeah, it's some good. It's thirtieth birthday players. last week. Just to finish on uh, on Marseille, to give a bit of context as well, they're they're fourth, having beaten Saint Etienne last night. 
Uh, they finished fourth last season. The, the stated goal this season was to finish in the top three. They, they need to get back into the Champions League. They've got five points to make up on, on Lyon. Now, the difference is that Lyon still have the Coupe de France. They still have the, uh, the Champions League for the moment. They're, they're playing Barcelona, having drawn 0-0 in, in, in the first leg. Marseille only have the league. So, what, 11 games left for them to, to try to close a five-point gap. What do you think? Can they, can they do it? Well, for me, the thing that so far this season we've seen for Marseille, the thing that's, that's hindered their campaign so far is that it's obviously, and we've said this for years, it's obviously a great place to be when everything is going well. When form is good, the crowd are behind you, everything is rosy, the players perform well, the coaching staff, everyone's happy. As soon as there's a little problem, when the form goes or things start turning wrong, the fans turn against the club because they expect so much, and, and rightly so, they're, they're a passionate public that deserve to get something from their team. But it's this roller coaster ride that we just see repeated and repeated this roller coaster ride that we see repeated and repeated throughout a season, which is so <laughs> purpose, frustrating. Right? <laughs> it's a bit of a Groundhog Day. I usually only there. go on roller coaster rides once. <laughs> and Robbie, surely they'll 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 get turned over at the Parc des Princes. They always get turned over at the Parc des Princes. Well, Paris are on a good run, at the, but there was a the Rudy Garcia's first game in charge was a was a scoreless draw at the Parc des Princes, and uh, if they knuckle down and defend well, they could try and uh, and get something. Look. It, Paris, as well as Lyon, have, will have their mind on other things as well. And Marseille, we know that their fans, again, will be looking for something as much as possible from them in that match. Marseille are a team that I think with Balotelli, if everything goes well, with the hardworking Lucas Ocampos, with uh, their, their youngsters at the back, they will struggle perhaps, I think, a little bit more. But look, Iroki Saka... It's time for Toban to turn it on in a really big game as well. Not only well, Toban was disappointing the last game as well. In week 36, Paris. that's going to be... I think probably the best atmosphere of the entire season. That's when Olympique de Marseille host Olympique Lyonnais. And that could be a game that decides the top three finish either way. Now, one of the surprise teams this season are Lille. Lille uh, were very nearly relegated last season. They very nearly went bankrupt following uh, an experiment that went badly wrong with uh, Marcelo Bielsa and uh, Christophe Galtier has come in, turned it round last season. They just about avoided the drop. They are now second in the standings. They are five points ahead of Lyon. But, but, it's just a feeling that they might be running out of gas. They uh, registered back-to-back draws against Montpellier and Strasbourg. They had a home game against Dijon at the weekend, which should have been a home banker. In the end, they just about got over the line. They won 1-0. Thanks to an own goal in the second half, it's a really important win because, of course, it keeps them five points uh, clear of Lyon. But the coach, Christophe Galtier, admitted that the first half performance wasn't good enough. Robbie, if you were a Lille supporter, Nicola Pepe, the star man, hasn't scored in his last three games. Would you be a little bit concerned? If I was a Lille supporter, I would be one of the happiest supporters in France this year after what we went through last year. Everyone seems to have forgotten that there was a huge pitch invasion Towards the latter stages of last season, it was, where it the was fans 12 months tried ago, to Robbie. fight. 11th of March, 11th of March against Montpellier. I was just reading uh, about this last year. Huge pitch invasion, yeah, and the players and were incredible. The players were attacked by the fans. A couple of them pushed over. There was the the players reacting badly. Security were overrun. This is a team. They got 38 points last season in the entire season. That normally means relegation. Normally we say 42 points and you can stay up. This was a Lille side, as you said, Matt, that were in just. A state of disrepair. Uh, not only the Bielsa, Christophe Galtier was struggling to 
to, to have his, his impact as well. What he's done this season with these players, because more, it's more or less the same players. There have been a few important little touch-ups, but it's, it's remarkable. If I was a Lil fan, more than happy with what I've seen this, this term. You'd be a bit less miserable than you are at the, at the moment. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm speaking as a Newcastle fan here, but if five points from three games is a slump in form, then I'd happily have a slump all season long. Sounds like European qualification to me. Exactly. What's this, this thing where suddenly you have to, if you're not winning nine games out of ten and you, you draw with Dijon, who are down the bottom, maybe, you know, Dijon, Dijon are a team fighting for their survival as well. Dijon are a side that, you know, need to try and turn things around. They're going to take, they're just going to defend. Lille, with these young players up front, Ikone, Pepe, Leao, they are going to be starting confronted more and more with sides that are playing with two lines of four or nine players behind the ball. It's not that easy. Plus, it's one of those football cliches that actually means something. If you're not playing that well, just make sure you get something from the game. Get the result. So if you can get through your slump and still pick up points, then you've got a much better chance of fulfilling your objectives, which I think should be... Pretty elevated now. For it's the... one of those things we hear in France all the time from coaches, and perhaps it's a little too French, is the idea, if you can't win, don't lose. Well, that's what Lille have been doing. And if ever there was a, the archetypal French coach, I, I heard Christophe a Frenchman Galtier, who we work with um, last week telling me we should go back to two points for a win. <laughs> I think that would be absolutely <laughs> disastrous for the French game. It took long enough, exactly. even with three There's... points for a win, for the mentality to change here. We do see a, a lot more, more goals mm. in Ligue 1 contre Armour than we used to, and it's a far better spectacle for the fans in the stadium and for those of you who watch at home. Sticking with Lille, I was uh, talking to Christophe Galtier. I was lucky enough to do a long interview with uh, with him recently, and he was explaining how he's, how he's turned things around. One of the big problems under Marcelo Bielsa was... Uh, they didn't have any leaders in the group. They, they decided they only needed youngsters, that they wanted to build this team, this squad around kids aged from sort of 19 to 23 that can run and run and run. And, and they just lacked direction, really. And as soon as the results started going wrong, um, they couldn't get that, that confidence back. And uh, Galtier said one of the things he really wanted in the summer was to bring in some senior figures. Now, he's brought in some senior figures, um, a few of them, haven't had a big impact on the pitch. Loic Remy has weighed in with a couple of goals, but he's not a starting player. Jeremy Pierre back in France hasn't played too much either. But the uh, the Font brothers, in particular Jose Font, have have had a huge impact. Jose Font has been a rock at the back. It's been a uh, a terrific coup for for Lille because after a decade uh, playing in England, Jose Font had moved to China. A lot of people thought he was winding down his career, but uh, he came back. To Europe at the age of 35 he has been outstanding and uh, we were uh, able to speak to Jose Font this week who talked to us about Lille's ambitions they're second and they have their sights set very much on the Champions League next season we want to finish second let's not be hypocrite we want to finish second we want to go directly to the Champions League and that's why we work every day um, but if it doesn't happen I mean uh, we will the the, the 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 thing is that we will give 120 percent to finish second and um, obviously Leon has some catch up to do and in San Etienne and the other teams but uh, we are focused we we are working very hard to to maintain this place and to finish second uh, that's that's the truth what they asked of me was exactly that to be to be the leader and to to bring some some calmness and to bring some uh, experience into the team. 
so we could navigate, uh, especially these uh, difficult periods or when you're on a high to keep your feet on the ground. You know, that's that's basically what they ask of me to to just be a professional, just be myself, show show the way to the to the young kids that we have here. Yeah, it's great to see Jose Font enjoying this swan song. He's a bit of an unsung hero, I would say. Southampton fans certainly certainly loved him. And uh, he broke, I think, into the Portugal side in his late 20s, uh, won the Euros. He was a starting player uh, in the final against France, kept out Le Bleu as uh, Portugal stunned France in 2016, featured in, in the World Cup again. And uh, he's been a, a real... Positive, I would say, in terms of uh, an addition to uh, to Ligue 1. And he's helping those young players at Lille to, to channel their, their energies. And uh, I would guess that Nicola Pepe is one of the players who has, who has benefited from Jose Font's uh, advice. I mentioned three games without a goal. He looked disappointed, Pepe, when he was taken off uh, against Dijon. But uh, I think um, the horse has bolted as far as Newcastle are concerned, I'm afraid, for, <laughs> for Nicola Pepe. And I think even... Even the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham, they're not going to get Nicola Pepe because he is going to go. And Christophe Galtier even admitted that Lille are pretty much resigned to selling him, but they're going to expect upwards of 60 million euros for Nicola Pepe next season. Galtier suggesting that he sees him fitting in at Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, a club that are looking to replace Ribéry and uh, and Robin. How do you rate this uh, this player, David Crossan? He's um, 23 years of age. Pepe, not not David Crossan, but uh, uh, Dave's a bit older. How how do you rate him? There are players older than me playing league and football, and I can't say the same for you two boys. Yeah, I think I just we want to get that dig in now. Vitorino Hilton is only about a month younger than me, I think. Gianluigi Buffon, he's older than me, and Hilton's <laughs> older than me. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, but right. Pepe, yes, um, he's going to go far. Yeah, he's got great pace, great balance, lovely footwork. Um, really knows his football, as Christophe Galtier is keen to point out in interviews when he talks about Pepe. He's a football lover. He studies his opponents. He knows where the weaknesses are when he comes up against teams. Uh, his stats were really good last season with 13 goals in that struggling team. Uh, the Bielsa revolution only lasted one game. I commentated their match against Nantes. It was like watching the Marseille team when he first came in. They were pressing. They were playing brilliantly. And I thought, wow, they're going to be a team to watch this season. Didn't that turn was a out that way. 3-0 win, wasn't it? 3-0 win in the yeah. first match. Um, but Pepe, his goals kept them up last season. And his goals this season, even if seven out of 16 have come from the penalty spot, have got them into this great position that they're in where they have to be challenging at least for a top three finish. I'd be slightly worried, though, if they did finish third and had to go through the qualifiers. I'm not sure. Without Pepe, probably. Yeah. I think Pepe still has a lot of room for improvement. I think what... Let's not forget that the, Geltier also brought in someone like Jonathan Bomber, who's only 20, 26 years of age. He's not an old, experienced player. But... He did play with him. You've got a problem with age, Robbie. Are you, Bomber's are you sure? much younger. Bomber's no. much, much younger. Are we than sure? That. Yeah, we're certain. I'd go 26. He's 22. No. <laughs> Jonathan Bomber is 22, born 26th of March, 1996. He's younger than Nicola Pepe. Yes. Robbie, get your research okay, done now yes. for, for, ne- for next <laughs> oh, he's week. He's been around for so long, Jonathan Bomber. He's played <laughs> seasons at Saint Etienne with Christophe Galtier. He, he was at Angers young. with Pepe as problems. well. He was at Angers, yes, exactly. He okay. started young. But, I mean, they've got, yeah, they've, they've got this <laughs> It's not only Nicola Pepe. Absolutely. Jonathan Icone has been, been How old is Icone, Rob? <laughs> Jonathan Icone is 22. They're all young guns. They're all young guns. Um, Nicola Pepe <laughs> is is the standout figure. Dave is, is quickly checking the age of, uh, of Icone. He's Nicola 20, Pepe, I think. Nicola Pepe is 23. He's got 
a very big future. 16 goals and eight assists so far this season. Iconi is 20, Matt. We, oh, Iconi is 20. Thank you, Dave. I'm trying to introduce our next uh, <laughs> snippet from, from Jose Font because Jose Font has played with and played against some, uh, some wonderful footballers in his time, but he is seriously impressed with Nicola Pepe. I'm going to be very, very direct. He can play anywhere he wants. It's as simple as that. I've, like you said, I've played against uh, many players. I've played alongside the, the top, top players. And his ability and his intelligence and knowledge of the game is second to none. His, his pace is blistering. His ability on the ball and 1v1 is incredible. He finishes well. He, he's an intelligent player. His movement is good. And he's still only 23, so I mean he can he can pick and choose. He can play for any team he wants. It's as simple as that. If he wants to play for Madrid, Barca, Man United, Man City, whoever he chooses, he he can do it, and he will do a good job for sure. Interesting stuff. The whole uh, of that Jose Font interview is available for for download on on our page, Le Bourge page. He was um, interviewed by our producer, who insists on being called an executive producer. Um, Ian Holyman, who's uh, who's going to do a fantastic job, I'm sure, for the uh, for the rest of the season. He's already got Jose Font, but um, we're going to move on now. Six six month contract, Ian Holyman. Will it yeah, be renewed? He's on a performance related contract. We're going to see if he if he uh, gets a renewed deal next season. Ian and Bruno Genesio both under pressure at the moment. Bruno Genesio incredibly under pressure, incredibly. I'd say from, from the outside. Which is incredible. Which is incredible. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Bruno Genesio is the manager of Lyon. He is uh, a Lyon man through and through. He's been coaching the, the youth team, the reserves. He was promoted to, to first team coach um, two or three seasons ago now. He's doing a solid job, but he just keeps on getting criticised by Lyon fans who feel he should be doing an even better job. And I think it's fair to say that on paper, Lyon have a superb team and they've, They've shown that this season. Um, they've defeated Manchester City away. They've defeated Lyon. They've just held Barcelona to a nil-nil draw at home. The, the issue for Lyon this season has been uh, against the lesser teams, the, uh, the less glamorous sides. They've, they've slipped up. They've lost twice to Nice. They've lost to, to Reims. They got over one of those hurdles on Sunday and they did it with, uh, with quite some uh, brio. They defeated Toulouse by five goals to one. But there's still five points adrift of Lille. And of course, Lyon want to be finishing in, in the top two. And frankly, Dave, this Lyon side, with, with the quality they have, they should be closer to Paris Saint-Germain. Of course they should. They have the second best squad in France. There's no question about that. And we've seen players break through to make their international debuts for France this year, like Ferland, Mendy and Tongi and Dombele. Two terrific players. But the consistency has not been there. And a lot of the problem has been in these smaller matches. So maybe this is them turning the corner. Um, looking at it from a, a statistical viewpoint, last season they had three players who were scoring goals for fun. Mariano Diaz, especially at the start of the season, Nabil Fakir and Memphis Depay, especially at the end of the season. This season, they don't have anyone in double figures yet. That Fakir and Moussa Dembele have got nine each in the league. So for me, that's where the biggest difference has been this season. Last season, we got used to them rolling over teams at times the way they did to lose yesterday. And this season, they've been unable to replicate that. I think it's been 10 years since you didn't have a player in double figures for scoring at this stage of the season for Lyon. At the time, I had a look at the stats. It was Fred Janinho 
and uh, another player, I can't remember who it was, who were each on seven or eight goals uh, at this stage of the season. But that's going back to 2007, mm. 2008. So there is a, there is a goal-scoring problem. Just a side note on Genesio and this identity in these young players coming through. That is something that Lyon do exceptionally well. They even did it when they, when they brought in Hubert Fournier, who was a, another former player. You have Bernard Lecombe still involved. Uh, Gerard Houllier is mm. now an advisor to, to the president as well. Jean-Michel Olas, a former coach there as well. They have, and this is something that Olas has done very well and perhaps now does too much with his, with his private Twitter account, is this idea of defending the identity of, of Olympic Lyonnais. They, they, are, they, they are a club that have an Olympic Lyonnais identity and it works across every level. Kasapa is on the training, uh, is on the staff, the coaching staff. Uh, as assistant coach with the mm. first team, Chris, Chris well is ball. a youth yep. team coach there. Um, you know, and they've just signed a new uh, the LFP. Gregory Coupe replaced Gregory Joel Bats Coupe when Bats went off to work with Remy Gard totally in agree. Canada. Exactly, totally that's agree. something yep. very impressive. And when they go, when they travel to Manchester City, when they take on Barcelona, when they play Paris, the only team to beat Paris in the league this season, they play on that identity. They are a proud club, and that. Yes, they lack a little bit of consistency. Yes, they the fans want a big coach because they're frustrated with this quality side that doesn't have consistency at the moment. But that identity is also what allows them to take on those big clubs and do it. And so we don't have an inferiority complex. We are Olympic Lyonnais. And when you say uh, the only team to beat Paris this season, you're not including Liverpool and Gangle in the league. I did. Uh, say. In the league, no, I don't think you said we'll we'll, we'll listen back to that. <laughs> I just, I, you know. Okay. I just want to be as, Go back 10 seconds. As complete, I'm pretty sure I said in the league. As complete as possible. <laughs> you, you talked, Robbie, about the guys not yet being in double figures for goals, but they're getting there, aren't they? Because mm. uh, five uh, part, they put five past Toulouse. I think uh, Moussa Dembele now has nine. Um, Nabil Fekir has nine. Um, but, Nabil, Nabil Fekir. Okay. If I could just, if I could just say <laughs> something. I just because, finish my sentence. Yes, go. Yeah, I'll, I'll just finish my sentence about Nabil Fekir. So I, I don't want to wind up Liverpool supporters. That, you know... That's certainly not what I'm looking to do. But when I see Liverpool stuttering at the moment, I think I know I'm moving off the subject a bit. But uh, Liverpool's problem this season, I think, is they've got three brilliant attackers, but they have nobody to replace either Firmino, Mane or uh, Salah, you know, to, 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 to rotate. And I think they're exhausted. And I think if they had signed Nabil Fekir, which they wanted to do last summer, they pulled out of it because they were trying to haggle over, over the price, suggesting that Nabil Fekir's knee was, uh, was, uh, was not in a great... State. I think Liverpool would be top of the league and going on to win the Premier League. Nabil Fekir, bringing it back to bringing the conversation back to France, um, had a difficult start to this season, and I think he was unsettled by by the whole Liverpool, um, you know, stop start transfer move. But and he won the World Cup, and he won the World Cup. Well, what a football player! I mean, I, I commentated the game yesterday against Toulouse, and the penalty he won, juggling past uh, a couple of Toulouse defenders, drawing the foul from Yannick Kauzak, who who just can't resist. But Diving wasn't it that, that foul and just that's throwback foul of the week, surely, if this should be a new section, just a clattering challenge. He did a full 360 in the air, Nabil Fekir, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't particularly nasty. He wasn't going into break the leg. He slipped. It was just good old-fashioned bang, over you go. Is, he's, he is an old-fashioned footballer, exactly. isn't he? He used to be uh, the captain of Bastia, this, uh, this old war horse, Yannick Kauzak. He's been sent off more than any other player in in, in Ligue 1, I believe. But Eleven red cards since 2012-2013, Matt. Thank you, A bonus Stato. prize if you guess who's second on the list in that time. For red cards? Yeah, I'll give you a clue. He plays for Nantes. <sighs> for Nantes? At the back. Papi Gillibodji. Palois? 
Palwa, yeah. Palwa. Daniel Congray third. Palwa six red cards. Congray five, but Karuzak eleven since Dave 2012 is, 2013. Is, he's putting himself forward for becoming the official podcast stato. He's got the, the, main the glasses. He's got the look. Perhaps is that harsh, Dave? That's pretty harsh. Yeah. Can is, I... is it just because I said there were no players older than you in Liga? <laughs> It's fantastic for Kauzak to be known as for something else because it's a famous name in Bastia as well. The main stand at Wait, was his dad? Uh, Furiani was a grandfather. Glory days. Grandfather. Yeah, the, the Kauzak family. But by the way, Ka- Kauzak, he looked absolutely gutted uh, at getting sent off. I think it was a fair enough uh, call from, from the referee. That was his first red card for two years. And I think, you know, he's been really <laughs> trying to, to, to clean up his act. But uh, Toulouse, uh, you know, for, for all Leon's good attacking football, Toulouse were dreadful yesterday. Absolutely dreadful. And uh, I think it's eight games without a win for them. They're they're 15th. They're in big trouble. And perhaps they need to pick John Bostock, who's not getting a look in these days. Our Englishman, he's uh, he's stuck on the substitutes bench. But Dave or or Robbie, either of you can come in here. Leon, um, they're in good form. Moussa Dembele looked excellent yesterday. They've got a very big game coming up. They've got Strasbourg this weekend. And then they go to the new Camp. Now, they held Barcelona to a 0-0 draw. Do they have a chance against... The Catalans. Yes, they do have a chance. They're, Absolutely. Of course, they're not favourites. Everyone will expect Barcelona to get through. But look at the way City played against Manchester City in both matches. Uh, look at the way they played against Paris Saint-Germain. They are capable of producing a big performance on the night. They did ride their luck a lot in the goalless draw. I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to be sitting alongside Matt for that game. And he kept telling me, oh, they're getting in behind and Dombelli and Aoua, they're going to score, Barcelona are going to score. Lopez had a very good game that night, but uh, it was Tostegan who still made the best save when he tipped Terrier's shot onto the crossbar. So they've got the chance of scoring a goal. And if they do that and get Barcelona worried, then why not? I don't expect them to go through, but I do expect them to play well. I think the thing is, everything has to go your way for, for a side like Leon. The there's no doubting the talent of Ndombele and Awa, but are they defensive enough in a game like that where you're going to have to defend at the Camp Nou? Is there a place now for Luka Tuza to come into the side and just try and shore things up? And then do you are you going to have chances with the Terrier, with the, the pace, and Cornet perhaps, a, a Bertrand Traore? Memphis can create something out of nothing because he's a player that has that, that little bit of talent and the fact that he scored last weekend I think is great as well for, for his confidence to come back. They will create chances. I think they have to shore up at the back. They have a very and one good of Dembele's best ever goals was against Barcelona. That was when he was playing for Celtic. The Celtic. No, I think they're. I think they're a chance. They will have chances to score. After that, whether it's only one or two, if you take one of them, if you have something to defend, you can do it. You can try and frustrate this Barcelona side as well. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was at the game with with Dave. I was trying to watch the game, the Leon Barcelona game, and Dave just kept giving me stat after stat and he was I was drowning in stats at one point I got away from Dave and I managed to talk to Emmanuel Petit um, who uh, who is a friend of David's actually and uh, Emmanuel Petit said listen this was before the game he said uh, I can't tell you what's going to happen it all depends on Messi is Messi going to be in the mood is he not going to be in the mood that's all that matters and that's it's interesting isn't it because we can talk about Dembele Depay whatever if Messi wants to just run the show then you know Leon they probably can't live with him Probably not. Um, but they can live with Luis Suarez. I was surprised and shocked by the decline in Luis Suarez physically. He's just not the player he was uh, a couple of years ago. And he was pretty easily contained, I thought. Um, Dembele, the former Ren player, had a, a decent start to the match before fading. They did a bit more when Coutinho came on 
Um, yeah, but if Messi does turn it on and he's got his shooting boots, which he didn't at uh, in Lyon, then Barcelona should go through. Going back just to our original uh, question regarding Lyon, Bruno Genesio. I mean, you know, it's looking like Ian Holyman will will get a deal, our producer for for next season. Bruno Genesio is much more uncertain. Is is his future dependent on? Doing something against Barcelona or finishing in in the top two or winning the Coupe de France. I mean, if they don't win a trophy and they finish third, just to let our listeners know, in case they they don't know, he's out of contract this summer. And uh, the president, Jean-Michel Olas, has has made it clear that he's not yet decided, basically. He hasn't decided whether to give him... He did did put a deadline on this at the end of March, but I think this could be a bit like the Brexit deadline. It's just going to get (laughs) postponed because you say, is the future contingent on doing well against Barcelona? Well, we'll have that result in by the end of March, but we won't know whether they're going to win the Coupe de France. We won't know whether they've got automatic Champions League qualification. So does Olas want to get himself into a situation that PSG found themselves in with Laurent Blanc when he signed a contract and then they still dismissed him in the summer because the objectives hadn't been met. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if Olas pushed this deadline a bit further back. We know that Genesio has uh, now got a link with the the Israeli agent Pini Zahavi. Mm -hmm. So he's preparing himself in the event that he goes onto the market. And the way he's developed young players, I can see that being attractive to clubs elsewhere. I suspect that Genesio will still be there next season. I don't think it looks good for Bruno Genesio at the moment. I think if you're if 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 we're, what we're talking about here is his, it all depends on the result against Barcelona, on the result in the Coupe de France, on finishing in the top two or three places. Then it's not the way you choose a coach for a side. You choose the coach for developing talent coming through for the playing style because that has always been the major criticism of Genesio is that the team is not playing as well as it should with this quality of player. I think the the bottom line is that if the stalling is happening, if the job hasn't been signed on for next year, it means that they're not happy with what's going on aside from the results, the way he's coaching this side. And just to to highlight the difference between the the Bruno Genesio decision and and Brexit, if Jean Michel Olas does continue to stall, or let's say let's say he does decide to 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 get rid of Bruno Genesio, we can at least still stay in France. Exactly. So, I think that's it. it's important to stress that we're going to finish the show with uh, a lovely, a lovely little segment um, that uh, that we'll bring you every week. It's called Bon Voyage. We're going to take you because we 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 are still allowed to stay in France. We're still allowed to travel on the TGVs. We're going to hop on a train now, and we're going to look ahead to next weekend's fixtures. And uh, the guys on the pod are going to tell me which game they would like to go to and why. David, I'm going to go to Strasbourg or Strasbourg or Strasbourg, depending on how you want to pronounce We're it. I'll, go with, I'll, go, with Strasbourg. I'll go with Strasbourg for my travels, but maybe when I'm talking about the game, I'll talk about them at Strasbourg. Uh, it's a terrific stadium, La Meno. They make so much noise there and they're just excited about being back in Ligue 1, given all the problems that they have, the way they've had to rise again from nothing. All right, they're not on the best run at the moment, but they're still in healthy upper mid-table. They're not playing the best football at the moment, but Saturday is a big game. Saturday afternoon in Strasbourg. Go and have a tart flambe before the game. Have a couple of the local beers. You'll have a great time. They're playing They're playing Lyon, did you? I'm not, you, you? You might have said that, but I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the cuisine because I know it's all about sausages and beer with you, Dave. But, uh, it, it, it the tart flambe be... is a sort of Alsatian version of pizza, but don't tell them that. I can't believe how thin <laughs> Arsene Wenger is, having, having grown up not only 
uh, outside Strasbourg, but in a in a pub, uh, because that's where he, you know, his parents ran run this pub. I mean, he must have a, an incredible digestive system or whatever it is that makes you thin. Robbie, I'm going off topic. Where would you like to go this weekend? Well, I'm not going to go to Toulouse, even though they have a great sausage tradition as well for Toulouse versus Gengar. I would go to Saint-Étienne, Saint-Étienne versus Lille, not only because it's uh, second versus fifth and uh, a very important match probably for European qualification for both sides. The atmosphere is always superb at the Stade Geoffroy Guichard. It's not nicknamed the Cauldron for nothing. It's Christophe Galtier returning there and... He was there for a long time, a bit of a legend at the start. I think the fans started to get a little bit frustrated with Christophe Galtier at the end. I don't think there'll be a huge ovation, a homage for him returning there, but I'm sure he'll be looking to get the result there. And uh, the atmosphere for these big matches, when there's something at stake, is always superb between the Magic fans, the Green Angels, their supporters, old-fashioned European-style ultras who don't mind uh, making their point pushing the, the laws of, of supporterism <laughs> to the very, very limit, sometimes just stepping over. They've had so many uh, sanctions from the league this season and last season, not allowing them to travel away, stands shut because of their carry-on. But when they put it all together for a big night like this, no better place in France to watch football. The laws of supporterism. I like that. <laughs> I like that phrase. And they are going to be pushed to the limits uh, in Marseille as well. I'm delighted that neither of you went for Marseille because for me, that is uh, an obvious choice. I'm going to head down to the Orange Velodrome to see Mario Balotelli playing against his former team at Nice, um, partly because the Velodrome is a sensational stadium and when Marseille are winning and, and that place is, is packed, um, I think there's no better place to be, even though Robbie says there's no better place to be than, uh, than, than Saint-Étienne. I think, uh, I think Marseille is a better place. And it is the Derby du Sud, uh, the Derby of the South. There is a genuine rivalry between... Marseille and Nice, much more so than between Marseille and Monaco, for example. Um, so the atmosphere will be fiery, and uh, what a place, what a what a, what a city, what a region. My uh, my two children have um, have their grandparents down there, and last week they were down there, and they were swimming in the sea in February. It was beautiful weather. Um, so I'm going to go down there. I'm going to have, gonna have a dip in the sea, and I'm going to take in. I'm going to take in Marseille, Nice. That concludes our uh, inaugural podcast Le Bourgeois which just in case any of you are still wondering means the beautiful game it is uh, our brand new podcast we hope you have enjoyed it we will be back with another episode next week from David Crossan Robbie Thompson and myself Matt Spiro it's time to say au revoir et à bientôt ciao ciao bye an absolute beauty for Florian